So, yeah, there you go. See, I didn't hand anybody nothing. <laughs> I left it up here for when you were done. And uh, somebody moved my Bible and they did my bulletin. And so I learned a lesson. Don't leave my stuff on the pulpit here for others to come and take. Anyway, I like that song a lot. And, you know, we have things to, that, that we're going to see uh, before this conflict's over that, that are going to be amazing. But nothing as amazing as seeing Jesus face to face and being with all the redeemed of all ages for eternity. Isn't that incredible? A thought. So keep running the race as God's voice echoes throughout eternity. It does not return to Him void, the Bible says. Yeah, it uh, reaps righteousness. So um, thank you for uh, leading out in that. I invite you now, let's have a word of prayer uh, together before we get into uh, really uh, uh, important, they're all important as far as that goes, but uh, a uh, really nice study uh, on one of the uh, um, characteristics of God's true church. So uh, I invite you to kneel with me at this time. Somebody get the camera, please. Multitasking. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy holy name. Father, we come before you on bended knee, praising you and, and thanking you, Lord, for uh, your wonderful love towards us, and that you esteem us better than, than all heaven, because you sent your Son, equivalent of all heaven, to come and take our place, die a death that we deserve uh, because of our sins. And uh, he came to become like one of us for all eternity, and lived a complete righteous life, uh, depending only upon those things that uh, we can depend upon, and the Holy Spirit. And so He was our example in all things, righteous living. And He took our place and died at Calvary, because the wages of sin is death. And He did no sin, but He took our sins upon Himself. And we're so thankful from the bottom of our hearts, Lord, that we've been given another chance redemption. And so, Lord, we pray that you forgive us our sins. The blood of Jesus will wash us clean. We're coming to the end of another year, Lord, in our calendar. We pray that you will bless us in this new year that's coming uh, to do more for the further of the kingdom, to grow more in grace and, uh, and love one towards another so that people will definitely see Jesus in us and what we think and what we say, what we do, may it always bring honor to Thee. Lord, we have some prayer requests. We humbly ask that You be with uh, our friend Jerry, in, uh, our member of our church in Battle Creek, that she's ill, that You'll be very near to her and, and help her to heal. And uh, another member of Battle Creek, Susan, who is dealing with uh, arthritis. Um, I know how painful that is. And I pray that You'll be near her and, and comfort her. Uh, Lord, and and uh, heal her if it be Thy will. Um, we are very thankful, uh, Lord, for the wonderful things that You've done for us in this past week. Your protective care over uh, my wife as she had to drive through this storm. Uh, for giving uh, Michael and I travel mercies. And, uh, Lord, for uh, blessing our family with uh, a home and shelter out of uh, the cold. And uh, for all the necessities we need. And Lord, I pray humbly now uh, that you be with those on our prayer lists uh, and uh, those members who haven't been to church for a while, we pray that you be very near to them as well. Those who have received free materials, uh, the books and Bible studies, and uh, uh, grant them understanding that they may be uh, in the kingdom and spread the truth in their sphere of influence. And Lord, I humbly ask that you give me the words to speak um, and now before the congregation, that they may be your words, bring thoughts to my mind that you wish conveyed uh, in dealing with defining uh, the, the household of faith, the true church, uh, your church. Um, and may hearts be receptive to this truth. I humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
We have been, uh, in the last few weeks, taking a biblical look, an inspired, uh, um, holy inspired scriptural look of the characteristics of God's church. And I hope that you've been as blessed as I have, you know, because I want to be a member of God's church. And I know that those who see me uh, through video, hear me through the audio, I know that you too uh, wish to be a member of God's church. And the Bible lays out these characteristics so that we may not be deceived by the devil, thinking we are in God's church when we are actually in the church of Antichrist. And so... Um, we've been taking a look at these things, and uh, I've entitled uh, this particular uh, message or study, uh, The Gift Basket. The Gift Basket. Years ago, uh, when I worked for a real estate developer, I was given the responsibility of dispersing the company Christmas gifts to all the employees. Now, when I first started, I'm thinking we had... We had close to a hundred employees. So it was, it took me the better part of a day uh, to uh, pick up uh, the, uh, uh, the gifts and to uh, make sure that everyone got theirs. And, and I believe that, I mean, it was a great privilege, really, and a blessing for me. I was able to receive the appreciation of all the employees as I dropped off the gift. always kind of wondered why the, uh, my boss uh, didn't do that himself, but he always had a Christmas dinner for all the employees too, and so he had a chance then, I guess, to, to go around from table to table and, and uh, you know, talk with all the employees. But uh, it was a real privilege. Was a I received a blessing. Um, and uh, this is, uh, of course, before I was called into ministry and such, so... But in the first few years of handling this assignment uh, for my, my boss, the, the company gave out baskets to the employees that were filled with all kinds of goodies. That's what I call them, all kinds of goodies. Mainly different kinds of fruit, uh, along with some sweets maybe, and, and maybe some different kinds of uh, special uh, you know, nuts. Um, and sometimes a few small tracks or books that... Uh, uh, concerned the gift of Christ to the world. And uh, to this day, I, I appreciate that wonderful gesture by my employer to reach out to his employees with, with such a, um, a great gift uh, filled with different things that were sure to encourage appreciation, really, and point them to Jesus. And uh, as I reflect upon you know, this time of year, sometimes I think back to those days, and I reflect upon it, and, and as I was thinking about that gift basket filled with all the different kinds of items, you know, to reach the different employees, I began to see a parallel to the gift basket that God has given to His church. And He has given a gift basket to His church. Through the medium of the Holy Spirit, God pours out so many different wonderful items that will reach each one of us, each one of His people, in some particular way. The people who received those gift baskets that I delivered didn't like everything that was in the basket. You know, we're all kind of peculiar that way, aren't we? Uh, but there was an item or more uh, in the basket that was just for them. And in like manner, God has given a gift basket containing some things that may not be tailored just for you. But there are items that are just for you. <laughs> and if for you, then for His church. In order to receive such a gift basket, one had to be an employee of the company. I didn't go out handing it out through the neighborhood. <laughs> you see, it was for employees. And in order to receive the gift basket from God, one must belong to Him as He disperses His gift basket to His church, which is His people. And this is, goes right along, friends, with 
with one of the ten identifying attributes of the church, and that is that it will have the gifts and bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This includes the testimony of Jesus, which the Bible defines as the spirit of prophecy, and we're going to get into. Now, we're going to be spending some time on this particular attribute because it is one of the greatest identifying marks of God's church in the last days. I'm going to begin with, in the book of John, the Gospel according to John, chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Jesus said, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I'm sure you've heard that before. He says, In spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. But look at verse 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And friends, what Jesus is saying here is the only way we can worship God in spirit and in truth is if we are spiritual and truthful. Isn't that right? That is, we live and worship the Creator in all sincerity with the highest faculties of our mind and our emotions, applying the principles of truth we find in God's Word to our heart. That's what it means. That's what, what Jesus is saying here. But that can only happen if we have the Holy Spirit as our ally. It's the only way it's possible. He is the Spirit, you see. Our Sabbath school today, we read this. The Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 14, as of Paul speaking, he says, But the natural man, the natural man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Have you ever run into anybody and you were talking to them and you, yes? 1 Corinthians. Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Have you ever run into anyone and, you, and you, you, you're moved and you're, you're kind of witnessing to them and they're just scoffing at you? Oh, that's just ridiculous. I can't believe you believe something like that. Well, to the natural man, spiritual things are foolishness to him. And Paul says, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So you see, what Paul's really getting at is, he's saying the wisdom of God is understood only by those who permit themselves to be taught by the Holy Spirit. The wisdom of God. Natural man can't understand the wisdom of God. It's foolishness to them. But if you're taught by the Holy Spirit the wisdom of God can be understood. And only then can we truly worship God in spirit and in truth, is if we're taught by the Holy Spirit, see. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Thinking along this line, you see there's differences. And one of the characteristics of the church that we, we had studied before is that it, it's the people, wherever Jesus is, is His church, and those who follow Jesus are those who have been born again. Now there are some who followed Jesus from town to town because of the things that He gave. But they weren't born again. Thus they weren't members of the church. But we're seeing the differences here between the natural man and the spiritual man. When I say man, I mean humankind. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, see what Paul's saying, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, when you become spiritual, when you're born again, the laws of God are written in your hearts, so you keep them. You're not under the condemnation of the law anymore. You've been forgiven. See? So you're free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son 
in the likeness of sinful flesh. And friends, I could spend a few hours just here in Romans 8. But my emphasis today is about the Spirit, about gifts. And we got the greatest gift in Jesus Christ, didn't we? And this is what He's done for us. He's changed us or has made it, uh, given us the opportunity to be changed from the natural man to the spiritual man. God, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. The law might be written in us who walk not after the flesh anymore because we've been changed, but after the Spirit. But notice verse 5 here. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. It's all they want to do. That's why spiritual things uh, are foolishness to those of the natural man. He walks after the, the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So we'll be able to discern spiritual things. For to be carnally minded is death. So do we want to be carnally minded? Or do we want to be spiritually minded? For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It has a hatred for God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. See, because they're not spiritual. Remember we read, God is spirit. They can't even worship God because God is spirit. We have to worship God in spirit and in truth. Verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So it's important to have the Holy Spirit, isn't it? And if you are Christ's, you have the spirit. That was one of the identifying marks of God's true church. They're made up, uh, they share in the nature of Christ. They are humanity and divinity combined. They're not exactly like Christ because Jesus is God. But they're born again believers. They've been changed. They walk by the Spirit. And a life according to the Spirit means a life in which the, the righteous demands of the law are fulfilled. A life of love. A life of loving obedience to God. And friends, I'll tell you, such a life might be made possible for believers was the great purpose for which God, our Father in heaven, sent His Son into this world. Paul tells us that our battle on this earth is not so much against other people as it is against powerful spiritual foes. In order to have victory in that battle, we have to be spiritual because it's a spiritual warfare. Paul says in Ephesians 6, verses 12 and 13, he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Where does this armor come from for this spiritual conflict? Who can get it? You know, Peter says in Acts 5, verse 29, he says, he says, we ought to obey God rather than men. Right? And if you drop down to three more verses, he says, And we are his witnesses of those things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. We ought to obey God rather than men, and God gives the Holy Ghost to those who obey him. You see, eternal salvation, offered by grace, received by faith, is available to those who obey, who are submissive. This is what it means. Who are submissive to the will of God. True obedience is revealed by loving obedience to God's holy commandments. Jesus himself said, if you love me, 
keep my commandments. And with the gift of the Holy Spirit comes the courage, the strength, and the armor, you see, to withstand the spiritual enemy. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said in John 6, verse 8, He said, And when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin. And He says, And of righteousness. And He says, And of judgment. And then He clarifies His statement a little bit. Verse 9, He says, Of sin, because they believe not on Me. Of righteousness, because I go to My Father and ye see Me no more. So the Holy Spirit's going to teach us more about Jesus because He's not walking around here right now. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And so Jesus has sent to those who believe, that means those have com who have committed themselves uh, to and are submissive to His will, He sent them the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit has several responsibilities three of which are stated here by Jesus. The Spirit convicts men of their sin, He points them to the salvation and righteousness that is in Jesus, and He warns them of the consequences of continuing in their sins and of neglecting the salvation that's freely offered because they will be judged. And we begin to see all these things in a spiritual sense, discerning spiritual things because we have been given the Holy Spirit. Amen? We are fitted with armor and power by the Holy Spirit to withstand the principalities, the powers, the rulers of darkness, the spiritual wickedness in high places. We're able to withstand as individuals and thus as His church. Remember Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against His church because they've been fitted with armor. And they're on the march. As we've discovered before, there's only one way to be a part of God's church, and that is to be born again. That is to partake of the divine nature of Jesus. Who that gift is given in the Holy Spirit. And one must confess and repent and accept the gift of the Savior to be a member. And when you have the Holy Spirit residing in your heart, you will hear His voice calling you to righteousness and to duty. So we all have our place, our role, our duty in the church. And just as He called Isaiah who said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Isaiah 6, 8. And this call... You accept. Unlike before when you kept rejecting and rejecting the love of God. This call you accept. You know, the great thing about becoming a member of God's church is that you, you're given all that is needed to go and do the Master's bidding. You don't worry whether or not you're strong enough or smart enough or loving enough because the Holy Spirit pours out all the graces needed to accomplish the call. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says in verse 8, he says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by Him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, our scripture reading, verse 7, so that ye come behind in no gift. No gift. Is there anyone here, anyone hear my voice, anyone see me, that doesn't like to receive a gift? <laughs> well, but you appreciated the gift, didn't you? And here Paul's saying, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's the goal, friends, to be blameless. To have the character of Christ revealed in us. 
all of God's children receive the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit comes the gift basket, you see. And the gift basket is filled with, well, first of all, the fruit of the Spirit. And second of all, spiritual gifts. Well, what's the difference between the two? Is there a difference? And this is really important to understand, beloved, for too many that I run into are confused about it. So we're going to take a look at it. Galatians 5 tells us what the fruits of the Spirit are. Galatians 5, verse 22, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And Paul says, against such there is no law. You see, because that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit comes into your heart when you have accepted Jesus and He has removed your sins. He has removed the, the, the guilt from your heart. And He gives you a new heart and He places His laws in your new heart. And by abiding in Jesus, you keep these laws. And we talked a little bit briefly about how do you abide in Christ. You have an active prayer life, a devotional life, study. You help others. You, you evangelize. That's how you abide in Christ. And you obey Him. And there's no further condemnation after that. You then experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit, see? And the fruit of the Spirit is not the natural product of human nature, as we read before, because it's the Holy Spirit. And the natural man doesn't have the Spirit. You see, it's a power wholly outside of man. Thus, it's a gift from God to His people and His church, which is His church. And it's one identifying attribute of His church. Let's take a closer look at these graces that come with the Holy Spirit so we can be better able to define God's church. The first one that Paul said there was love. Love. It's the Greek word agape. You've heard it before. This is the higher type of love that encapsulates really all the other graces that are mentioned. Because God is love. And this love recognizes something of value in the person or object that is loved. Love is that is based on principle, not merely on emotion. It esteems others better than oneself. This love is that which is seen between the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It is the redeeming love of the Godhead for lost humanity. It is the special quality demonstrated in the dealings of Christians with one another. Love for God is shown by conformity with His will, which is revealed in His Ten Commandments. This is proof of love. That's why, again, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, sometimes, the Greek word agape is translated as charity in the English. However, the word charity, friends, I don't believe is comprehensive enough to indicate the wide sweep of interest in the well-being of others that is contained in the word agape. So the word love is better, in my estimation, but that, that must be understood in the light of all that's said in the Bible concerning that love. See? This love, or agape, must not be confused with that which is sometimes called love, it's a quality composed largely of feelings and emotions that has their center in self and uh, the desire of self. Agape centers the interest and concern in others and leads to appropriate action towards them, as, again, seen in the Ten Commandments. First four, love towards God. Last six, love towards your fellow man. The next one Paul talks about is joy. He says, love, joy. And the Greek word there is kara. It means cheerfulness. It means a calm delight. It is a holy gladness with which the Spirit of God infuses those who live in the Spirit. A holy gladness. Our sins are wiped away, you know the old hymn, and our darkness turned today. That brings a holy gladness to us. 
The next word, the next grace, is peace. Love and joy and peace. The Greek word here is irene. Irene. And it implies prosperity, really. Uh, a quietness, a rest, to be set at one again. Kind of like the atonement, you see. at onement. It brings prosperity of heart. It brings peace. Jesus used the same word in John 14, verse 27. He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And he says, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So in this verse, Jesus speaks of inward peace of soul, such as comes to the person who is justified by faith. See, they've had their sins forgiven. Their sense of guilt has been laid at the foot of the cross. Their anxieties about the future have been swallowed up in their implicit trust in God. See? Such a peace Jesus calls, if you notice there, my peace. So it's a peace that you can't find in the world. People say, oh, if we had no wars and we just had peace. Well, that's man's peace. I'm not saying that's bad. But it's a different kind of peace. The next grace that Paul mentioned is long-suffering. Long-suffering. That's the Greek word makrothomio. Makrothomio. It means forbearance. Or, as translated, long-suffering. It means patience. Uh, steadfastness, endurance, perseverance has all those qualities. It's opposed to haste or to uh, uh, passionate expressions and thoughts. Uh, it's opposed to irritability. This word denotes the state of mind that enables a man to be patiently quiet and to bear long when oppressed or wrong, wrongfully accused and persecuted. I will tell you, it is similar, but not the same Greek word used in Revelation 14, 12, which describes the steadfast endurance of the saints of God, though they will have this spiritual grace of long-suffering. It is related to it. The next grace Paul mentioned was gentleness. It's the Greek word Christos, Christotes. It means usefulness. Uh, that is a, a, a moral excellence in character and demeanor. A gentle person is mild, you'll notice, of temper. They're calm, have a quiet disposition. A Christian is never to be morose or sullen, but always cheerful and thoughtful of others, courteous and kind. This kind of encapsulates that word there, Christotes. The Greek word. Paul says, through the Spirit is goodness. It's the Greek word agathsone. It means virtue or beneficence. Having an uprightness in heart and life and motives and in conduct. Someone who has integrity. Then he says faith. Now the, this is the Greek word pistis, which means both faith and also means faithfulness. Whereas faith is an attitude of confidence in other persons or in truths for which objective evidence is incomplete, like as mentioned, uh, the definition of uh, faith in Hebrews 11.1, 1. faithfulness is a quality of conduct that gives other reason, others reason for co having confidence in us. So you could look at it as faith is kind of the mental attitude and faithfulness is the pattern of conduct, you see. And this is... The fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. Paul says in Romans 12.3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So friends, our faith increases as we walk by the Spirit. 
And in our experiences, we become more and more faithful to God. We cultivate a righteous pattern of conduct. And then there's meekness. The Greek word, preotes. It means humility. It means mildness. Meekness towards God means that we accept His will and His dealing with us as good. That we submit to Him in all things, really without hesitation, because we know He has our best interest at heart. A meek person has self under complete control. You know, tame animals were said to be preotus or meek. They were submissive. They were harmless. Any of you that have dealt with animal husbandry know the tame animal to be this way. Very mild, very meek, submissive, harmless. And one who is meek intends nothing but good towards others. It is said that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. That is until Jesus came. Is that true? Then Paul ends it here by saying temperance is a fruit of the, the Spirit. That's the, the Greek word ingratia. Temperance. It literally means self-control. That's what it means. It signifies moderation in all things and complete control over every passion, over our appetites. Excesses of every kind are excluded. It is possible to be intemperate even in working for the Lord. Did you know that? One example would be disregarding the laws of health. And that's so common. I think too common. Really. We can only control the lower passions by allowing the Spirit to reign in our hearts and minds. You understand that? Does that make sense? Because the natural man wants to be intemperate. <laughs> He's controlled by his passions. So friends, as we confess and we repent of our sins, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with the Spirit comes the gift basket, you see, that contains these Christ-like graces and gifts. And these graces and gifts will be found in the true church of God, not the professed church. These graces and gifts, they actually help to identify the church of God. Now we've looked at the fruit. What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Let's begin by looking at some gifts to the church and the purpose for them. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll look at verse 11. Paul's speaking again. He says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did he do that? The very next statement by Paul, verse 12, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why? Why all that? Verse 13, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto, and he defines who that perfect man is, unto the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ. So you see, friends, God is working through the Holy Spirit to perfect His people. To have a unified body that exemplifies the perfect character of Jesus is the mission. He does this in different ways, and some of the ways is to give the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Paul's not so much saying that certain gifts were given to men in order that they might become such, but that the ones who has received the gift were themselves being given to the church. The church was receiving to its ministry men who were properly equipped for their functions so that the body would be edified, so that they would reach that fullness that is God's will. Let me share this with you. Testimonies to the Church, Volume 5, page 238. We read, In sending forth His ministers, our Savior gave gifts unto men. 
for through them he communicates to the world the words of eternal life. You catch that? In sending forth his ministers, as Paul laid out there, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, God sends them forth as gifts unto men, for through them he communicates to the world the words of eternal life. This is the means which God has ordained for the perfecting of the saints in knowledge and true holiness. The work of Christ's servants is not merely to preach the truth. They are to watch for souls as they that must render account to God. They are to reprove, rebuke, exhort with long-suffering and doctrine. Remember we saw long-suffering? It's a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? All who have been benefited by the labors of God's servants should, according to their ability, unite with Him in working for the salvation of souls. This is the work of all true believers, ministers, and people, she said. They should keep the grand object ever in view, each seeking to fill his proper position in the church and all working together in order, harmony, and love. And so Paul, he begins... And he's talking to the church of Ephesus and he said this is what God has do. The God has sent to the churches men to fill these offices to lead you to a fuller understanding of the gospel for the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto the perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's why these gifts are given. That's why the Gift basket is given. In Romans 12, Paul puts forth some of these gifts. He speaks about it. Verse 8, he says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth, on teaching. Or he that exhorteth, on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth, with diligence. He that showeth mercy, with cheerfulness. So there are many gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit and He determines who is to receive what gift. And again, why are the gifts given? They're given for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we reflect Christ's character perfectly, friends, to the world. And you'll find the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the true church of God for they are given to edify the body. <laughs> See? Here's another one. Signs of the Times, September 19, 1900. Different gifts are imparted to different ones that we may feel our need of one another. Did you catch that? Different gifts are imparted to different ones that we may feel our need of one another. We need each other. God bestows these gifts and they are to be employed in His service not to glorify the possessor but to uplift the world's Redeemer. They are to be used for the good of all mankind. God desires His people to help one another in the discharge of their various duties and in the faithful accomplishment of the work He has given them to do. So we each receive different gifts so that we may feel our need for one another and be drawn closer into unity in the bonds of love. What are some of these gifts that the Holy Spirit divides among the people of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're familiar with this chapter, I think, aren't we? We're going to look at some of these. We'll move along here. Hopefully I can get through it all. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Paul says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So there's all kinds of gifts, but it's the one Spirit who gives them. And there are differences of administrations, that can mean ministries, but the same Lord. 
So there's evangelists, there's medical missionaries, there, there are pastors, there are, there are different types of ministries, but there's, it's all under the same Lord, you see. And there are diversities of operations. There are different ways of doing these things, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. That's understanding God's word. The wisdom of God. Being able to, to share that wisdom with others. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. God had said my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Knowledge is important. But it's not the most important thing, is it? But this is a gift too, knowledge, to be shared. To another faith by the same Spirit. Now, the faith here spoken of, beloved, is not that which all of us Christians possess. That's not the type of faith that's being spoken of. This is a special kind of faith, such as uh, enables whoever possesses it to do exceptional exploits for God. Like David slaying Goliath. He exercised that and he was given that kind of special faith, that gift of faith. Paul says, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Now these are, these are special powers such as those exercised by the apostles. They healed. They raised from the dead. Right? Now, it is, of course, the privilege of all of us to request healing for the sick and to receive answers to our prayers. Absolutely. But this is to be distinguished here from the gifts of healing uh, because it appears that those with this gift possessed divine knowledge. They, they, they possessed direction in their work and they healed only those whom God directed them to heal. Thus they possess, you could say, a certain knowledge of the outcome. So that means there's a little bit different, see, than us praying for healing for someone. That's a gift of the Spirit, this, this gift. Verse 10, to another, the working of miracles. Like healings, this is a special gift performed under God's direction. However, again, it is a privilege of, of us uh, that don't possess this gift to pray for miraculous intervention, to have our prayers answered if God chooses to have them answered. Paul says to another prophecy, this, this is the power to speak authoritatively for God or on God's behalf, either by foretelling future events or by declaring God's will for the present. You know, visions, dreams, special uh, illumination of the mind, those are ways in which the gift of prophecy works. And God intended that this important gift of the Spirit should be with His church to the end of time. This gift of prophecy. In fact, it is a mark of identification of God's true church in the last days, which we're going to get to as we go along. This gift of prophecy. But let's go on. Paul says, to another, discerning of spirits. What do you think that means? A discerning of spirits. Huh? It's the ability to distinguish between divine and counterfeit inspiration, essentially, is what it is. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. That's the supernatural gift to speak other languages when you share the gospel. Then he says to another, the interpretation of tongues. That's a special gift that was needed to interpret the message imparted by the one speaking in tongues. To show that it's supernatural and it's from God. The whole idea is to communicate a message, not what's called this gibberish of speaking in tongues today. Which is used as a litmus test whether you're actually born again believer or not if you speak in quote tongues and, and then Paul says verse 11 but all these worketh that one and the self same spirit dividing to every man severally as he will so he lists some of the gifts here we kind of looked at you know 
what each one means. He lists it and he says it's the Holy Spirit who's the one who divides them up. And he's the one who decides. You know, it's the Holy Spirit that decides what member receives what gift to the edifying of the individual and to the edifying of the church. And Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, he said, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, it's nice to have these gifts and be zealous to have them, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. What's your motivation for wanting these gifts? Seek to the edifying of the church. You're not going to receive a gift that doesn't fulfill you, friends, or edify you and the church. Because... If it didn't, I mean, it could bring resentment towards God. I didn't want this gift. I hate this gift. You know. I don't like this gift. <laughs> it actually would hinder the work of edifying the church unto a perfect man. Here's uh, one from Gospel Workers, page 483, a quote. God has different ways of working, and He has different workmen to whom He entrusts varied gifts. One worker may be a ready speaker, another a ready writer, another may have the gift of sincere, earnest, fervent prayer, another the gift of singing, another may have special power to explain the Word of God with clearness, and each gift is to become a power for God, because He works with the laborer. To one, God gives the word of wisdom, to another knowledge, to another faith, but all are to work under the same head. And that's... So again, let's remember that it's the Holy Spirit that determines who receives what gift. I mean, friends, the church organization doesn't decide, nor do the church leaders or the members who receives what gift. You know, I may say that I want to be an apostle, but if I can't raise a church and organize it and raise another church and organize it, etc., then it's probably obvious that I don't have that gift, at least at that time. So you see, the church can only recognize what gift an individual may have. The church can't bestow that gift. But let me tell you this. By knowing your gift or gifts, you will then be able to better determine your role within the body of Christ. You will continue to be trained, you see, by the Holy Spirit on how to use your gift, which will hone your abilities in your work for the Master. And as you grow the Holy Spirit's going to impart more gifts. And if you don't use your spiritual gift, though, what do you think happens? You'll lose it. And in thus, you will grieve away the Holy Spirit. Also known as the, Jesus described as the impardonable sin. How then do we know what our spiritual gift or gifts are? Yeah, that's the question, isn't it? When you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, you'll discern the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. Remember, spiritual things are spiritually discerned, and you'll most likely, at least that I've observed, uh, already be doing the work that you've been called to do. You'll be using the gift already. Now, it is true the pastor or the minister is to help the members discern their gifts and talents and always encourage them to be used. But I want to make it very clear. I want to, we've got to be very careful that we don't choose the gift that we think best fits us. You cannot choose your spiritual gift for, you know, friends, we really don't know our own heart, do we? The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. We can't trust ourselves to make the right choice, so let's trust God with it, right? The bottom line is for our hearts to be right with God first and then everything is, it'll fall into place. It'll fall into place. One of the identifying marks of God's true church is that in it will be seen the fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit, friends. And as mentioned before, there is one specific gift that identifies the church of God in our day. We talked about it, that gift of prophecy. It's found also in Revelation 12, verse 17. This is where we find it. 
And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. That's the last, right? That's the last of her offspring, the remnant of her seed, which do what? Keep the commandments of God. Okay, we've seen that before, right? We've read that, Revelation 14, 12. But what else do they have? They have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Remember in Genesis 3.15 when God placed enmity between the woman and her seed and the devil and his seed? Here in Revelation we come to the end of time, the time we're living in today. And we see this enmity coming to a head, a final battle. A final battle between the two churches, the church of Christ, the church of Antichrist. Which one is the seed of the woman? It's the one that keeps the commandments of God. It also has the testimony of Jesus. So we read there. Well, what is the testimony of Jesus Christ? The Bible gives us an answer, friends, in Revelation 19 and verse 10. It says, and I, now this was John, remember, he's in vision. This angel He's before this angel and he falls to his feet. This is what it says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, this angel, he said, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? I'm of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. And then he tells us, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is what? The spirit of prophecy. It's rather interesting. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now the word prophecy describes any inspired message that is communicated by God through a prophet. That's what it is. Prophecy may be a prediction of future events, though that isn't really all that common. The expression spirit of prophecy refers specifically to the manifestation of the spirit in the form of a special gift of the Holy Spirit that inspires the recipient, enables them to speak authoritatively as a representative of God when moved by the Holy Spirit to do so. That's what the spirit of prophecy, that expression means. So the church of God in our time will have the gift of prophecy from the Holy Spirit. So, the church, besides having all the gifts of the Spirit within the body, it will have a prophet, you see, to guide and prepare the church for this final battle before the end of all things that we read. Revelation 12, 7. Dragon was wroth with the woman, went to make war with the remnant. Again, this is one of the identifying attributes of the church of God in our day, the last days, friends. Now, something I want to clear up here. What does having the spirit of prophecy mean in identifying the church? Does it mean it has all the books, the property, uh, it owns them, the personal effects of the prophet? Or does it mean that the inspired writings and the counsels of the prophet are loved? and kept in the heart of the believer because that is where the Holy Spirit presides. God gives His gifts to people who obey Him, remember? So friends, only those who are born of the Spirit can receive the gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> only those who have such gifts will receive a prophet of the Lord. Somebody came to you and said, I'm a prophet of the Lord. Don't scoff at that. You better check them out. Only those who have such gifts will receive a prophet. Such gifts are only given to God's people. And though the, 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 that are described there as those who what? Keep the commandments. Not just to the ones who profess to keep them. Those who only profess to obey belong to the Antichrist church, even if they have a Bible, even if they have all the testimonies on their bookshelf, all the Conflict of the Ages series, all the inspired writings. If you've rejected the Holy Spirit, you've rejected the prophet, <laughs> friends. You've rejected the gifts 
Now before the, the church can battle the beast, it must be prepared and, and given power to win the victory. And the gift of the spirit of prophecy helps to do just that. Notice this from Christ's Object Lessons, page 333. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, and I've read this to you before, and hopefully I think you... I hope you've read it before. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Whatever is to be done at His command may be accomplished in His strength. All His biddings are enablings. So friends, God does not ask us to do something that He does not enable us to do. The key is to have Christ abiding in the heart and in the mind. To have the faith that Jesus had and exercise that faith to do all that He asks us to do. See? We must always look to Christ where cometh our strength. As it says, Revelation 14, 12, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. You see, friends, God is working on His people to get to that point of love. If you love me, keep my commandments. He's working to get us to that point of love, to get us to a point of unity so that He can pour out His power upon His church to battle the beast in His image and carry us through the plagues. And this power is referred to in Scripture as the latter rain. And only God's true church will receive this power that comes with the latter rain. Only God's true church receives the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit to prepare it for that day. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus speaking. And He says to the apostles and the disciples, when He says to us, to those who believe, He says, And ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall receive power. And with that power you will be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You know the Greek word for power in this verse is dunamis? It's the Greek word dunamis. Our English word dynamite is derived from the Greek word dunamis. <laughs> dynamite. This is a supernatural power received only by those upon whom the Holy Spirit comes. And this power is for overcoming. This power is for witnessing. It gives power within. Power to proclaim the gospel. Power to lead others to God. But God has much more power to be poured out upon His church, but they have to be prepared to receive it. As in the time of Pentecost, we have to be in unity with one another and of one accord. And friends, the experience of Pentecost is going to be repeated only in a greater scale. God is looking for a generation of followers that He can trust to finish the harvest work, who He can trust with this power to battle the beast in His image. Will we be among those who are of one accord in the Lord and and receive this power to finish the work? The work of preparing a people for the coming of Jesus? From the devotional book, My Life Today, page 60. Near the end of earth's harvest, a special bestowal of the spiritual grace is promised to prepare the church for the coming of the Son of Men. This outpouring of the Spirit is likened to the falling of the latter rain, and it is for this added power that the Christians are to send their petitions to the Lord of the harvest in the time of the latter rain. Friends, we are in the time. We are in that time. Next time we get together, we're going to take a closer look at the gift of prophecy. For Jesus has warned us that there will be false Christs. There will be false prophets, and we don't want to be deceived. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 21, He said, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. Praise God for His mercy. 
but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. The implication is that false Christs, false prophets, and their signs could almost deceive the very elect. It means they're very powerful. But these faithful ones have obeyed the counsel of the true witness to the Laodiceans to anoint their eyes with ISAB. And who does the anointing? It's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? They're able to distinguish between the true and the false. They've been given the gift basket, you see, from the Holy Spirit, and they will not be deceived. Do you want to be among the saved? Do you want to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus? Friends, just commit your heart to God right now. You'll begin receiving the gift basket prepared just for you. I leave you with the words of the psalmist. Psalms 121. Words of encouragement, friends, in the dark days that we're living in and headed to. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Even, friends, forevermore. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we again thank you so very, very much for Jesus. We thank you for the precious gift of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who's been given to help us in our walk, to change our hearts, to, to pour out graces and gifts upon us that will edify us, edify the church, that will help us in the work of the ministry, that we may reach a point of spiritual growth that we reflect the character of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, perfectly that we will be brought together in the bonds of love and unity to receive the power of the latter rain, to finish the mission you've given to your church, your people, and be found faithful. Father, help us pour out grace upon us to keep looking up. Encourage us to be strong, to stand, though others may fall. Lord, we thank you for the Sabbath day that we gain such a wonderful blessing of the Holy Spirit and atmosphere of heaven, the taste of heaven, where we long to see Jesus someday soon. Please continue to bless us, we pray in Jesus' name.